Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash The Starter. Week 3 Shora Warlords at Ionath Krakens. Standings in the Planet Division. Tied for first with records of 2-0, Isis Ice Storm, Lou Juggernauts, Toe Pirates, Wabash Wolfpack. Three teams at 1-1 one one, tied for fifth, Hitoni Hullwalkers, Mars Planets, Themala Dreadnoughts. And tied for last with records of 0-2, Yal Criminals, Alamo Marmada, Ionath Krakens, Coronada Delana Cloudkillers. In the Solar Division. Three teams tied for first with 2-0 records. Board Brigands, Dakau War Dogs, New Rodina Astronauts. Five teams are tied for fourth with identical 1-1 records. The Bartel Waterbugs, the Jang Atom Smashers, the Jupiter Jacks, the Sala Intrigue, Shora Warlords. And tied for last with records of 0-2, the Chilich Spider Bears, the Neptune Scarlet Flyers, and the Vic Vanguard. Since sometime in the middle of last season, Quentin had known this time would come. The worst of all possibilities. Something that went totally against the teachings of his childhood, of his religion. Was it killing another purest nation citizen? No. Was it idolatry, worshipping a false idol? Nope. Was it sleeping with a woman before marriage? Nuh-uh. Far worse than all of those, it was time to break bread with the key. He shuddered at that term, breaking bread. He'd heard they didn't even eat bread. At least Don Pine was with him, there both for moral support and a caution against cultural faux pas. Just relax, kid, Don said, as they walked down the corridor toward the key section of the ship. It's going to be gross, but I'm sure you've seen worse. Oh, really? And why is that? Because I come from the purest nation? Because I was poor? Quentin was sick and tired of everyone thinking of him as a hick, as backwater. The purest nation wasn't great, but it had its good points. Don rolled his eyes. Oh, hey, Q, you ever seen anybody burned at the stake? Quentin ground his teeth. Don raised his eyebrows. Well, have you? Yes. How about stoned to death? Yeah, sure. How about skinned to death? I hear that's a form of public torture. Well, yeah, but just the one time. Don laughed and held his hands palms up at shoulder height, a gesture that said, well, there you go. Quentin let out a long breath. Don wasn't his enemy here. It was a stressful situation, 
but Don was only here to help. Sorry, Quentin said. When you grow up with it, you don't think it's strange. I guess I have seen some bad things. You have, Don said. I wonder how long it'll be before you realize just how bad. Maybe being around a normal life, if you'll pardon the expression, will show you just how truly messed up your homeland is. Hey, I heard you talk to Denver and Scarborough about the trade rumors going around the sports talk shows. What did you say to them? Quentin shrugged. I told him it was just that, a rumor. I won't let him be traded. You said that? I did, Quentin said, feeling immediately defensive. I'm not going to trade them. I told them so. Don shook his head and sighed. Oh, man, I wish you hadn't. What if you have to pull the trigger? I won't, Quentin said, just as they stopped at the door to the key wing of the touchback. No trades, and that's that. Now, can we get on with this? Don reached up and squeezed Quentin's shoulder. Kid, you been in the key section yet? Just the pool in the locker room. Ah, Don said. Well, at least you know the smell. Some important stuff you need to know. Try not to flinch. Flinch at what? At anything. Wow, Don, that really narrows it down. Just remember that nothing in here can hurt you. Well, not that much, anyway. Don pushed a button in the wall, and the door slid up into recessed housing in the ceiling. Quentin was somehow expecting things to fly out the door, but inside was just a small, empty room with another door on the other side. Don stepped in. Quentin followed. When Don pushed a button to close the first door, Quentin realized he was in an airlock. Hey, Don, what does not that much mean specifically? It means don't be a baby. Don hit the button for the inside door. As soon as the door started to slide up into its recess housing, a swarm flew out. Quentin ducked and swayed as the buzzing things hit his face. Oh, what in High One's name is this? Didn't I tell you not to flinch? Don walked through the second door. Quentin stood and waved his hands as he hurried to catch up to Pine. One of the flying creatures landed on his hand. He remembered Don's words and fought the urge to smash it. Quentin lifted his hand close to his face and examined the critter. It sort of looked like an insect, but none that Quentin had ever seen before. A soft, roundish body with four legs sticking out the bottom, pointy feet resting on his skin. A ring ran around the center of its body, kind of making it look like a little planet. The ring seemed flexible and strong, even though the diameter wasn't more than an inch from edge to edge. The ring fluttered, and the bug rose up, hovered, then settled back down again. On top of the rounded body, Quentin saw five equidistant eyes, the same configuration as that of the key. The little creature tensed, then sprang off his hand and flew up fast. Before it even passed the height of Quentin's head, something dove straight for his face. He ducked, again, and had a glimpse of something the size of his head, something with roundish wings and a pointy mouth that snatched the bug out of midair before flying off. Hey, Q! Don called. Quit dinking around! We're late for dinner! Quentin jogged after his teammate. It didn't look like he was in a ship at all anymore. It looked like he was in a jungle. There were no corridors here, no hallways. As near as he could tell, it was just one big open space. On either side of a three-foot-wide path grew some kind of inch-high red moss, which itself quickly vanished under a mat of waist-high plants with broad red leaves. He could see only about five feet from the edges of the path before long, thin, brownish-yellow vines grew up from the waist-high plants to cling to the ceiling, so thick they could have been crazy-angled prison bars of some forest jail. More red moss hung down from the vines, 
clinging to everything, save for the hot lights mounted up in the 20-foot-high ceiling. Don, this is really messed up right here. Come on, we need to hurry, Don said. The appetizer is the only thing already dead, so you'll want to fill up on that. They walked into a clearing of sorts, about 30 yards in diameter. At the outer edges, Quentin saw dozens of wide, silvery hammocks hanging at shoulder height. Five or six cables ran from each hammock and wrapped around one of the thousands of vines running from floor to ceiling. The long, tubular key were in some of those hammocks, multi-jointed arms dangling over the sides or held close to their head, holographic interfaces glowing in the air. Scattered around the clearing, Quentin saw more of his key teammates sitting at what had to be workstations and holo tables. The displays showed glowing images of football players wearing bright pink uniforms with dark pink polka dots and black numbers. The uniforms of this week's opponent, the Shora Warlords. They're studying? Yep, Don said. That's pretty much all they do is study or eat. I'm surprised. Why? Don said. You study, practice, run, or lift all the damn time, it seems like. Why would they be any different? Well, they're linemen. How much do they have to study the sentient they're facing off against? Don nodded, understanding. It's not just brute strength, Q. There's a lot that goes into each snap, especially when it's key versus key. You ever watch those heavy G wrestling leagues? Quentin nodded. It's like that, Don said. Every snap, every play, there's a hundred moves and counter moves being made. Your offensive line studies to make sure they're prepared, make sure they can keep you safe. Well, maybe they need some extra credit. My nine sacks says they're flunking all their classes. I heard that, Don said. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
In the center of the clearing, Quentin saw what had to be the evening's focal point, a long, flat stone table. A narrow trench ran around the outside of the table, just inside the edge. It only took Quentin a second to realize what it was. A blood trough. Don, are you absolutely sure I have to do this? Don didn't even turn his head to look at Quentin. Instead, he held up his right hand, fingers outstretched. The two Galaxy Bowl rings sparkled in the hot, bright lights. Quentin nodded. All right, let's get this over with. The two quarterbacks walked forth from the edge of the clearing. Quentin's feet stepped on moss, leaves, and sticks. Other than the lights above and the bits of ceiling still visible through the moss and vines, he would have no way of knowing he was in a spaceship. As they approached the table, Quentin heard a heavy rustling from the surrounding jungle. Don stopped at the edge of the table, as did Quentin, who had to force himself to stay calm. Sure, these were his teammates, but they had only been his teammates for the past three months. For the 19 years prior to that, he'd known the key as demons, as devils, as the eaters of men and the swallowers of souls. Now here he was, deep in some semi-artificial jungle, in their natural environment, surrounded by them. They poured out of their silvery hammocks and scuttled to the table. Others actually slithered out of the underbrush, moving like huge snakes, legs tucked up against their bodies. The key lined up around the table, ten long, tubular bodies bent up at the middle. The smallest key present, Ganta Kapel, the backup center, was eleven feet, eleven inches long. One of the key wore a strange back brace. It was Akanatak, the injured starting right guard. Akana, Quentin said, nodding to him. We need you back this week. We need you bad. Will you be ready? The key ripped off a bellowing roar of a sentence that lasted for 15 seconds, then walked to the table. Quentin nudged Don. What did he say? Uh, basically he said, uh-huh. It takes that long to say yes? It's a strange language. Quentin watched the lineman moving in for dinner then realized that there were many faces missing, including Mumo Killui. The key at the table were offensive line only. Where's the defense? They live in separate quarters, remember? Don said. If they live together, they get too buddy-buddy in practice. Are we going to eat with the defense as well? Later, Don said. The offense is a little bit more civilized. I wanted to break you in easy. The key surrounded the table. One of them, Quentin recognized him as K.O. Keyware, the backup left guard, carried a heavy black sack. A black sack that moved. Kilo Yoet also had a bag, a smaller bag that, thankfully, was not moving. He held the bag over the table and upended it, spilling its contents onto the stone surface. Shiny objects clattered, finally coming to rest in a scattered pile of candy apple red. Quentin recognized the creatures covered in clear, glossy candy shells, but he recognized them nonetheless. Shushaliks, the little creatures that had drained the blood of Mopuk the Sneaky. Ew, Quentin said. Don, I can't eat that. You will if you want to respect the key culture. Quentin felt his anger rising. You know what? Why do I have to respect every culture in the galaxy, yet no other culture seems to be required to respect mine? I can't dare to offend any sentient, but no sentient has a problem offending me? Don shrugged. I don't know, kid. 
I guess some people just have to take the higher ground, or none of us would get along. Don reached down and picked up a candied shushalik. He popped it in his mouth. It made a crackling sound when he bit into it. You can't eat dessert first. You'd do well to make a show of eating a lot of these things. Why's that? Quentin picked one up. The candy shell started melting immediately, covering his fingertips in sticky red. Because then you'll be full, Don said. Oh, I don't think you want a lot of room left in your belly when the main car starts to scream. Quentin looked at the older quarterback to see if he was joking. He wasn't. Quentin shoved the stiff shushalik into his mouth and then bit down. The candy tasted sugary, but also a little bitter. His teeth cracked through it into something soft. Soft and also crunchy. His brain registered the word bones before that same thing popped and fluid shot out of his mouth, a gelatinous purple glob hitting his chin and dangling in a long streamer. He quickly wiped it away, then had to clench his teeth as his stomach started to rebel. Oh, no, no, don't you dare throw up. I kind of want to get out of this alive if you catch my drift. Getting out of it alive. Yes, that would be just fine. Quentin chewed, forced himself to swallow. He heeded Don's advice and reached for another. The key were scooping them up two at a time, popping them into their hexagonal mouths. They didn't seem overly concerned if the shushalik juice splattered all over. Within minutes, the table was covered with streamers of thick purple gloop. Quentin picked up his sixth shushalik. He just stared at it. He couldn't possibly eat it and not hurl. Shodo Thicket let out a long, barking sentence. Quentin looked at the key, wondering if he'd somehow offended his host. What, is he mad I'm not eating? No, Don said. Are you going to OS1 in the bye week or something? Yeah, I'm taking John to his mom's place. Don's shoulders drooped and his eyes softened with an expression of longing. Tuna noodle casserole? Quentin nodded. Oh, man, I would kill a million sentients to swap out Ma Tweety's TNC for this. Anyway, Shoto wants to know if he and Mumo can ride along. They want to visit OS-1. Uh, sure, I guess. Quentin looked at Shoto. Yeah, yeah, I'll take you guys. <laughs> the lineman grunted something Quentin could only assume was a thanks, and then K.O. Keyware hefted his still-kicking black bag. Here we go, Don said quietly. You'll want to go to your happy place. What's a happy place? A place you pretend to be, so you don't realize where you actually are. Just tell yourself you're eating fish. Warm, salty, still twitching, fish. Uh, is it fish? Don sighed and sadly shook his head. Kaoki where upended the bag. A multi-legged creature dropped out and hit the table. The first thought Quentin had was furry crab. The second thing was more coherent, and it was, maybe that's what a small deer would look like if it had eight legs and lived on the seventh plane of hell. Ten quad sets of long key arms shot out, grabbing the creature's legs, its body, holding it firm to the table. Despite their overwhelming iron grip, the animal twitched and twisted spasmodically. It seemed to know that if it didn't break free, it was done for. The noise it let out 
a cross between a siren and a bark, made Quentin want to turn and run. Don took a deep breath. I'm the elder, so I get to go first. You're the guest, so you go second. You need to do exactly what I do, okay? Quentin nodded, speechless. Don reached down and put his hands on the squirming monstrosity. Its stubby head tried to turn and bite, but it couldn't bring its hexagonal mouth around. Three of its five eyes that could see behind it stared, wide and black, as Don bent his head toward the middle of its back. A memory flashed through Quentin's mind, a nursery rhyme he was forced to memorize in his earliest years of school. What do I do if a key should attack? I get behind him with my foot on his back. I bend him hard, his back gives a crack, cause High One loves me, and I love him back. The key's spinal structure had a fatal flaw. If they were bent back too far, or struck in the middle of the back, where their body bent, they could suffer paralysis or even die. Just as the throat was a weak spot in not only humans, but in the majority of mammals, that spinal flaw must have been prevalent in many species from the key's home planet. Pine grabbed the creature's spinal ridge with his strong hands, then bit down in the center of the deer crab's back. The thing squealed louder. Don yanked his head backward once, twice, and on the third pull, a crack sound echoed through the clearing. Don stood, a chunk of the creature clenched in his teeth, black blood spilling down his chin and onto his chest. The deer crab's eight legs spasmed sickeningly, stuck out stiff and motionless for a second, then started spasming again, uncontrollably, limbs just moving without any direction. Don spit out the chunk of the creature's spine. It landed on the stone table, where it stuck with a wet flop. The key lineman flipped the twitching creature on its back. Don reached down and sank his fingers into its abdominal area and pulled out a chunk of steaming, fur-covered meat. He gnawed at the exposed black flesh, then nodded for Quentin to do the same thing. No shucking way, Quentin said. That, that thing is still alive! Quentin realized the key linemen were staring at him, shiny black eyes locked on and waiting. The only sound came from the creature's limbs scraping feebly against the stone table's surface. Don took another bite of the piece of creature held in his gooey left hand. He raised his right hand and wiggled his fingers. One of his galaxy bowl rings sparkled in the light. The other didn't sparkle at all because it was covered with a glob of black blood. Quentin breathed in deeply through his nose, then sank his fingers into the bloody, still-twitching muscle. Despite the inhumane approach, he tried to tell himself that every steak, every piece of fish, every ounce of animal flesh he'd ever eaten had once been a living thing. Well, it was one thing to know that information as you bit into a hamburger. It was another thing entirely, to watch the animal die to actually help kill it yourself. I think I'm going to become a vegetarian, but first I have to finish what I started. Quentin curled his fingers and pulled back. The flesh resisted his pull. He had to re-grip, brace his free hand on the stone table, then yank a chunk out of the animal. He looked at it, looked at the dripping black blood, looked at the steam coming off the meat. Quentin met the eyes of each of the ten key linemen, then raised the mess to his mouth and sank his teeth into it. It tasted warm and salty. He closed his eyes, tried to think about it as fish, and made a mental note to create a happy place 
as soon as possible. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.